2: We always let Scott Merkin's walk-up music play longer because it's the Eagles. That's just the way it works when I'm hosting. Welcome and welcome back, Saturday Suckage. Rick Camp is in for Mark Brody. And we're gonna go to the Scores Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Welcome in the second biggest Eagles
3: fan on this show, Scott Merkin. Scott, how you doing? Good. I've heard that Circa uh, Resort is something to be seen out there. I have not seen it yet, but I heard it's pretty amazing.
2: It's in a hell of a spot in the corner of the and and it just it looks like it could circle the entire Fremont Street experience. It could be the Fremont Street experience. So Interesting. So you saw, so we all saw I guess the bottom line of this is the White Sox beat a good team. A team with a winning record. It seems so removed from all the all of the storytelling and all the histrionics and everything that happened, they beat a good team. So make of make of the Field of Dreams game what you will and its impact going forward.
3: Well, I mean I think it was just a really great baseball experience. You know, I mean it was hotter than you could imagine. I mean i I'm, I'm not a big fan of heat and don't do well in the heat, but there were people who I've worked with who I've never seen like, be hot even in Kansas City on a Thursday afternoon, and they were sweating like crazy. It was that kind of day. And I learned something new. There's something called corn sweats. I've never heard of that before, but I guess the corn does affect the heat. So kudos to the players for playing through the heat, although it got cooler as it went on. But just a really cool experience overall, and just there, there seemed to be yeah, it seemed to come off really well. It seemed that there didn't seem to be any kind of hassles. I mean, you know, parking took a little to get into when I got I got there, about 1.30. And it took a little bit to get in, but that was kind of expected, you know, with so many people and kind of like one road in and out of the Field of Dreams ballpark. But just a lot of fun stories and a lot of, you know, fun baseball. And the game was great. I mean, there were, what, eight home runs. I'm sure some of the pitchers didn't think it was so great, but <laughs> there were eight home runs, and it was just an exciting game between – you know, a very, very good White Sox team and apparently a pretty solid Yankees team, too, who are a little shorthanded. But then again, that's no excuse because the Sox have been that way all season. So really, just the the atmosphere, I compared it to the most exciting game I've ever been to, I've covered, I think, is the blackout game in 2008 when the Sox and Twins played for the division title and the Sox won one nothing behind John Danks and Jim Tomy's 470 foot home run now obviously this is a regular season game that was you know on august 12th and didn't have the bearing of one team goes home or one goes to the playoffs but it had elements of that in it, it had that sort of excitement and the fans just you know really and really that's what it's for right the fans seem to love every minute of it there was there's no complaints aside from my own sitting in my car trying to get in the parking lot but that moved quickly too so it was, it was a really great baseball day
4: Mercant theory: If you had gone to the game as a fan, hypothetically, would there be any circumstance where you would have left in the sixth inning, and have <laughs> you texted Chris Ranji to give him crap about it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so Ranji left in the sixth inning.
4: Yeah, he had his, He claimed, uh, and mind you, this is true, that he was uh, hosting a show on Friday afternoon and did not want to deal with all the traffic on the way out that you mentioned of how bad it was on the way in. So he left in the sixth when it was seven, four.
3: Come on. I mean, you got, you got to stay till the end, Chris Ranji. I mean, like I will say that, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's usually most of the time, you know, beat writers, writers in general, are there about an hour after the last pitch. So by the time we left there, it was myself and, uh, Vinnie Duber does a great job for NBC sports. And, uh, a guy from the AP in Minnesota, I think Dave Campbell's last name. And uh, we walked through, and you, you got to stop and do your requisite, uh, you know, pictures on the field of the field, I actually met some guys who, through a MasterCard dream contest experience, um, won the auction to stay in the house, you know, the actual house from the movie mm-hmm. on the property there. So I went up and talked to them for a little bit and got to see the inside of the house. And by the time you left, the only problem was just making sure you knew where the heck your car was, because it's not like there's... White lanes there and posts and painted areas and that kind of thing so that was my only worry and luckily i had a, a very bright white rental car so it was very easy to find but yeah i mean by an hour afterwards there was no traffic at all so it cleared it cleared pretty it was handled very well it really was handled very well overall i mean there was i, I can't imagine many complaints you know the, the food lines were pretty manageable it seemed like it was just really hot but that's what happens on a Thursday afternoon into evening in, in Iowa, I guess, in the middle of the cornfield.
2: Did you get to see, uh, did they get to, was, was Amy Madigan
3: in the house? If you're going to run, you know, I, I don't that know. Contest. You know, there was no mention of like any of the other, I, I know, um, the guy who played the father, whose name I'm totally Dwyer blanking Brown. on. Dwyer right. Brown. He was, I believe he was, I don't know if he was there for the game, but I know he was there during the week. Kevin Costner was tremendous with the commissioner in, uh, in the press conference before the game, really you can see like, you know, I, I'm I've enjoyed some of his movies. I'm not like a diehard Kevin Costner fan, but I, I enjoy a lot of his movies he's done. But you can see why he's so successful or has been so successful, because when he spoke, he spoke more about like the vision as opposed to like the nuts and bolts and like kind of the esoteric thing about you know what makes it work. And he was really good in that press conference. There's a lot of uh, former Paul Kaneko was there with one of his sons. Uh, Jim tommy was there with his son. J.J. Putz was there with his son. I saw Toby Hall there with his son. Uh, so there were a lot of uh, – a lot of ex- A.J. Pruszynski was there with his son. I can't forget A.J. There was, there was a, a lot of um, – it, it, was, it was a destination ticket. And, you know, I get that it was in high demand, and partially because there's only 8,000 seats. I mean, it's not a huge stadium. There's obviously no outfield seating unless you want to throw a few chairs in the middle of the corn stalks there. But, you know, it, it was a, a really cool event overall. When they were,
2: actually when they filmed it, when Kevin Costner's walking through the corn stalks, they were too high. So what they did was they built planks. So I think they can do that and people can see over the corn stalks. I had, I did want to, I did not want to leave this Field of Dreams idea. This is um, my friend Joey Ice. He runs the freezer section at my Trader Joe's. And he came up <laughs> after the game and he said, he said. We could have used him on wife. Thursday. Yeah, big White Sox fan. You're right. You're a big White Sox fan. And so I want you to pass along Joey Ice's suggestion to to Brooks Boyer and maybe Brooks will be employee of the month. Well, wait till next month after I think Tim Anderson's employee of the month right now. But I think so. Why can't the White Sox because this movie was it was about them and the worst thing that happened in that franchise is history, it was about them. Why can't they host this game every year against different opponents? Because the same way that the NFL allows the Lions, who often suck, and the Cowboys, who often suck, they get to host the Thanksgiving games against a rotating group of opponents. Why can't the White Sox be the permanent
3: host of the Field of Dreams game? I, mean, I think that's an interesting idea. I think it's bigger than, even though the movie was about that, I think it's bigger than just you know having one team there Constantly, I mean, at least at this point, maybe that will change in the future. But you know, I know uh, the commissioner, Commissioner Manfred, said that they will be back next year. He did not confirm any teams that will or will not be there next year. But you know, he said they will be doing the game again next year. And it, it was, it, you know, I mean, it, it's, it thinks other people have mentioned that about, you know, that the Sox should be in there permanently. I mean, I wonder what a Cubs-Sox game would be like out there. Although, would either team want to give up, you know, the home gate? To play in, you know, or the home atmosphere as much as the gate. To play in a much smaller ball, ballpark for the for the one day. It'd also be interesting if they could do maybe a couple games. Now, I mean, that you know, I, I don't know the whole machinations that went into getting this plan. So <laughs> I might be just speaking out into the air here, not knowing how tough it is to just pull one day off. But you know, a couple of the players made that mention that they would have liked to, you know, because they came in, both teams came in Thursday morning, flew into the. Glorious Dubuque Airport, which I didn't even know Dubuque had an airport until this week, and then flew out right after the game back to Chicago. So you know, would it be better if you had it for like you know a day or two out there or something like that? But all, I mean, all ideas that are possible because this event was so tremendous. One thing I will say is I think the measurement was three thirty-five to right field. I, I, I'm just from the naked eye, I was a little little skeptical of that one. I mean, there was I mean Judge crushed both his out there, Eloy crushed his. Um, Tim Anderson's was a home run, no question about it. It, it just looked like the way the ball carried that maybe is a little smaller to right field, but a beautiful ballpark. They did a great job at that ballpark.
4: Shouldn't have to worry. shouldn't really worry at all about speaking into the ether because, I mean, the Bears game kicked off. Both teams have a three and out, so the rest of the show is pretty much speaking into the ether.
3: But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Bears offense looked an awful lot like last year's, didn't it?
4: Yeah, you know, some hey. Last year's plate caller. Yeah, we're looking to the past, and we're honoring the past, and the Bears did that on their first series. Uh, oh, hey, right. Based
3: on the one based on the one game I've seen Justin Fields play against Michigan, he should be a Hall of Famer within no time. I, I thought the same thing about Jordan Howard. Jordan, right, was his first name at yeah. uh, the tailback that the Bears got? Because he rushed for like 340 yards in a game against Michigan. So when they got him, I'm like, hey, based on what I've seen, this guy is going to be really good. And he was actually very good. So maybe that is a good barometer to judge off of.
4: I was gonna say, are you more are you more intrigued to see Justin Fields at the NFL level and what he can be, or just knowing that you'll never have to see him in an Ohio State uniform ever again?
3: Uh, you know, Ohio State. No matter who they put in there, he seems to throw for like 450 yards of recent recent pass. So, you know, if I had any eligibility left, they could put me in there and I'd throw for like one. Yeah, probably wouldn't. But still, it seems like they just rotate a new guy, a new great guy in there, no matter who. It is. But yeah, I think it's a really intriguing pick, and I think it's 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 really. Dynamic for the Bears, and I'm, I'm very interested to see what what this young man can do. No doubt about it.
2: So the the acquisition of Cesar Hernandez is maybe the most underrated, under uh, talked about thing with the White Sox because there's Tim Anderson, there's Jose Abreu, there's Vaughn doing Vaughn things, and and everybody they ever put in there is doing exactly that. And now the trades are working out that way, but. Cesar Hernandez is just going, it, it has been a revelation compared to what the White Sox were dealing with at second base. I don't know if it, it, you think it's been underplayed or understated, but what do you think of that? And looking forward, how different does this White Sox lineup look, this White Sox, White Sox team
3: look defensively as well with him? Well, I think it, it speaks to the overall plan that has gone back years by, you know, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and the whole front office, and that, you know, they were trading away the guy who was. I mean, I think they knew, you know, who was going to be needed or who might be needed for, um, you know, to acquire Craig Kimball from the Cubs, aside from the fact that Nick Madrigal was out for the rest of the year either way. And, you know, while Leary Garcia and Danny Mendick filled the role at second base. And the Sox still maintained a very large lead in the A.L. Central. They wanted, an, I don't want to say upgrade, but a different sort of player to go in there You know, as they pushed towards the postseason with a desire to win the championship in 2021. But they were giving up a guy in Madrigal who was, at this point, is their second baseman of the present and the future, despite the hamstring injury. So, you know, they got the guy they wanted, the guy that Rick Hahn talked about, him and Kenny had a talk about. If we get one guy at this trade deadline and no one else, who would it be? And they both agreed it was Kimbrell. If they were limited to one guy, they added Ryan Tapero, who's another, you know, great, but really gives you a solid five spot, you know, just in late inning leverage, you know, with Bummer, Kopech, Tapero, Kimbrell, and um, Liam Hendricks, of course, and, you know, in, in the back end of that bullpen. And they got a second baseman now who is a multi-talented guy. You know, he is, he's hitting for some power this year. Just a, One of the scouts described to me, in kansas city when they got him who had seen him a little bit there's just a solid ball player overall and you have him for next year too with an option so it's not like it's a one and done thing so it was you know it was, it was a good is a very good trade deadline for the for the white sox overall in their quest for this year and in their quest to you know keep going you know this is not a one-off for the white sox they've made that clear numerous times that this is a team that, that you know they intend to contend for multiple championships you have to win the championships but they intend to be in there for multiple championships
4: I know there's still like six weeks left of the regular season but it's hard to not look towards the playoffs and right assuming everyone's healthy and playing relatively close to the form they are that we've seen for most of this year what would you expect to be the rotation for the playoffs right now because it sure seems like it'd be Lynn and Rodon one two with a bullet but that third spot would be interesting to me what who do you think at this moment should get that nod
3: I think Giolito's got to be in there. I mean, I think Giolito's been very good overall this year. I think he's had, you know, maybe a couple, you know, off steps. I mean, I, I, you can't subtract. This is not like, you know, uh, grading on a curve where you take the top and the lowest and throw it out or whatever. You know, he had the one really bad game in Boston, obviously, which, you know, it kind of raises your ERA. But he's been excellent. And he's a, a, a proven, you know, he, he's a big game pitcher. I, I think he really likes that. Sort of, sort of situation as we saw when he drew what a perfect game for six innings in game one of the playoffs last year against Oakland. So I think those are the front three. I think Dallas Keiko provides you with a guy who's got experience in the playoffs. And I think Cease has been, you know, outstanding. I think Cease has taken a major step forward this year. So you have a lot of options there. I'm not totally sure at the, you know, how they would lay it out. I think it would probably depend on who they're playing, you know, in the first round. And go from there, but I, I think your three at the top are right now are Lynn, Rodon, and Gilito in no particular order.
2: And Lynn looked like Lynn looked physically
3: looked like the guy who should be starting the Field of Dreams game. He was. He looked <laughs> at home in that uniform. Scott, he, he had for a your great. Vote where, I was yeah. say, someone asked him after the game about how the field played. Comparatively, He's like, well, I never pitched in a game with cornstalks in the outfield before, so I have nothing to compare it to, really. This <laughs> is a great line.
2: <laughs> well, that's a good career, then, because there's some players who have done that. <laughs> there All you right. go. Scott, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Okay, today. guys.
3: Take care. Have a good day.
2: Scott Merkin of MLB.com covers the White Sox. Uh, we'll take a break. At uh, 1240, we will talk some Cubs. What do they have coming? Who what is this? What's the Losses. point? What's Losses the right. is what they have coming? After fourteen to ten and and one of the pitchers that's the hope for the year or the hope for the future, the hope of the rebuild, and just they gave up eleven runs in the second inning. <laughs> it's just there's such a clown show going on. We're trying to find some hope there. We'll talk to Evan Altman the Cubs Insider about that. So take a break. When we come back, um, there's some other Sox stuff to get to and a Bears update, something we talked about earlier on the show. Not so good. Here's Rick Camp, the I'm Fat podcast. And boy, will we get to that I'm Fat podcast in the next hour. And uh, I'm Steve Rosenblum. It's Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Thanks, my friend. Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosenblum and Rick Camp of the I'm Fat podcast in for Mark Grody today on Saturday Suckage. We suck so you don't have to. And speaking of sucking, remember we talked earlier at length? I certainly went on at length about the value of David Montgomery establishing himself behind a questionable offensive line, giving the quarterbacks more time, carving out a, a demanding the teams respect the play action, demanding the teams respect the run. So, yeah, I remember, remember that, that all the way an hour ago, Rick? Maybe yeah, even was, less that, than that? that was a
4: good conversation. It was fun.
2: Yeah, well, first series, David Montgomery limped off the field.
4: That's not fun.
2: <laughs> no. So, second series, Damian Williams is in, and... Uh, and according to one report, he got loose for 11 yards, but Alex Barrs was called for holding, and uh, Andy Dalton is in for the second series. So that's the way this is going so far. This is not mm-hmm. the most auspicious debut, but the fact that Damian Williams ran for 11 yards means that that at least Matt Nagy called a running play, or maybe Andrew Dalton audible to it. I don't know, but that was this is.
3: The balance, look at this, the balance I, has been three to three so far, if I might add. Three yeah, running one plays, three sure
4: yeah, one series got three plays and so did the other. Yes,
3: one. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but I was saying the balance of run to pass has been exactly three to three. So there's okay, the, there's your balance. What, it's just not going forward.
2: But that's with Dalton. I, I, wouldn't you? Don't you need to see that balance with Justin Fields out there when he gets there? That's yeah, I would the think real. So. <clears throat> that's the real. That's where you're keeping track. What's the balance going to be? there? Now, now you
4: you left out the (laughs) most important detail of Damian Williams coming in for the second series. Little jarring, but I still think it looks good of a running back with a single-digit number. Damian Williams wearing eight for the Bears. Like, I'm not saying I don't like it by any stretch, but uh, it's just going to take a minute to get used to uh, the the number restrictions being loosened a bit and seeing guys that are not guys that are inevitably going to get cut wearing single-digit numbers.
2: He's sort of uh, college-like because they've got the weirdest numbers for the weirdest positions, and he's, yeah, okay, I I, I guess. I'm, I, We got trained. The NFL wanted us to get trained, and then they changed things. That's what they do to us. So we were talking with Scott Merkin earlier, and uh, and we were talking about the the, the White Sox and the, the feeling that it, it was such a, because they beat a, a good team, they beat a winning team, the way they did it, so dramatic. This has the has a propulsive effect. And, and Steve Stone had tweeted out, it's nice to see more national attention paid to our Sox. This year's team is good and very exciting. The one thing I've noticed as I walk around town is the increased amount of Sox caps and jerseys. Our city is being infected with Sox fever. Plenty of room on the Sox bandwagon. And I got a kick out of the out of my friend Joey Ice who uh, sent me this picture from Walmart. <laughs> I just think it's so it's so Chicago. On one rack at Walmart, there is socks gear at a price of fifteen forty eight. Next to it is a rack of Cubs gear with a signs that reads clearance at a price of ten bucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's at, this was Walmart it's yesterday. Clearance. But but the thing that it was clearance, like the Cubs are, this is not like a trubisky jersey. The Cubs right. aren't leaving town. The, the, yeah. That yeah. laundry will serve next year's racks as well, won't it? Well, I- the thing is, if there's
4: one organization that can appreciate everybody having a tight budget right now, it is the Cubs.
3: <laughs> so
4: they want to make sure that people are able to get their merchandise at an affordable price. Yeah. So you know what? Good on you, Cubs. Trade everybody. You know, Make up for those biblical losses sooner rather than later. And yeah. ma- let everybody be able to get your merch just a little bit cheaper. You know, some people will probably... Get uh you know get a jersey of either Baez, Bryant, or Rizzo, and just hope that one of the next great Cub players in like four or five years ends up also wearing that number, so then they can duct tape over the
2: name. Yes, right. That's how you do it, and just put your own name. That's just it's a remarkable thing. That watching this, the 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 numbers are staggering, and Paul Sullivan had written about everybody was coming up with all of their numbers. So I'm combining. Combining this, they lost 14 to 10 to the Marlins. It was their ninth straight defeat, their 15th in 17 games, their 32nd in 42 games. And one of their hopes for the future, Adbear Azali exited with an injury. Ticket prices did not appear to be cut for his minor league roster in a major league stadium everybody's cubbing together and the numbers just get worse because they've dropped. When you look at it this way, they've dropped 19 games in the standings in 50 days to the Brewers. But doesn't it feel like they've dropped 19 straight games to the Brewers? <laughs>
3: That's yes. What this feels
4: like A thousand percent, but Hey, at least Cubs fans have been trained to go through this before. Whether it's short or long-term they've been trained. Do you know what? Just going to have to lose for a while. And you know what they're going to do? Lose.
2: A lot. Yes. A lot. But but they don't want to say that or they can't say that because it's not just we're going to sell fewer tickets. There's so much more at stake, it seems, because there's the marquee network. What is your reason? The Cubs need to give people a reason to subscribe to marquee. What is it right now? Make the make the case for him. There, there must be a case out there. We'll talk to Evan Alman about it, but Rick, make the case for him. What is it?
4: Uh, <clears throat> cubbies. Like, that's pretty much, it's pretty much just, I'm a Cubs fan, I've always been a Cubs fan, and I watch Cubs games, so that's it? I think that's pretty much what you're looking at right now, because when you really look close at it, how many of the guys left? Are would feasibly be, I'm not even saying impact players, but let's just say in terms of position players, possible starters on the next, I'm not even saying great Cubs team, but the next really solid Cubs team. Like, are, are you looking at, okay, Wilson Contreras possibly, if he wants to resign, mm-hmm. but then you're looking at Madrigal and, and Nico Horner and... Really, those guys are just, you know, 2020s, possibly for Ryan Terrio and Mike Fontenot and Mike Caruso and, you know, like all those mm-hmm. types of guys. Maybe a little mm-hmm. better, but I mean, really, I don't know what great pieces you have to look at right now. Are we waiting for the emergence of, was it Pete Crow Armstrong or whatever the guy is they got for, 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 uh, for Baez in a couple years? I mean, at that point, it's just the whole reasoning that, well, no, you're not the whole reasoning, but part of the reasoning that Theo left when he did of just they know the cupboard's pretty bare right now, and they're just gonna have to deal with some of what comes with that of having to pay guys, you know, one-year deals, probably overpaying to fill roles that you would hope that guys through your farm system would be able to fill, but they just don't have it right now. So, I mean, unless you really are a fan of, of any of those guys, or you're someone that pays close attention to the minor leagues. I don't know what the reasoning is to watch this, this team for the rest of this season.
2: And the fact that it's less than two months would probably be fine. Subscriptions are meant to be spiked in the off season. Mm-hmm. So whatever b- biblical losses there have been, you've certainly traded away a bunch of salary and you, you brought in a bunch of cheap pieces that you have to show you can develop, but there's a chance to sign there's a chance to sign to make star sign stars, make headlines, give people a reason to watch. I mean could you imagine well maybe the Cubs will sign Justin Fields. That'd be good. That would that would sell, right? Wouldn't that be good
4: angle?
2: Justin Fields every every piece of Justin Fields gear, according to Paul Sullivan early this morning on the of the Tribune every piece of gear sold out of the team gear trailer mm-hmm. and in the entire stadium so he'd probably sell baseball subscriptions
4: oh uh, one one note from the bears game that I, that i just flashed on my screen um probably notable that adam shaheen's wearing a mask it's attached to his helmet but he's wearing a mask
2: <laughs> another guy ryan pace traded up for who can't play that's yes. just terrific all right, uh, he's Rick Camp. I'm Steve Rosenloom. Rick's in for Mark Rody. And we are going to talk Cubs. Well, we, we raise questions like, why do you watch? What's the point? What's coming? What's happening? Where is the hope? Because remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And good things never die when all Andy Dufresne on you. But that's what the Cubs have. What, what the Cubs have. They're selling sunshine and hope and halter tops, I guess. We'll talk with Evan Altman of Cubs Insider next. We are Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. The 0-2,
3: Bender to Chirinos. Swung on and missed, strike three, and the Marlins hold on and win the ball game, beating the Cubs 14-10. to That
2: was on our very airwaves, Zach Zaidman on the score, calling the final of the Cubs loss 14 to 10 to the Marlon one guy. It's just awful. So, that is going to be an all Zach day. Zach Davies goes today for the Cubs. What's left of the Cubs? Him and his 5.26 ERA. There's your U Darvish trade. And Zach Thompson. Goes for the Marlins with his 3.05 ERA. We are going to the Scores Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Welcome back to Saturday Suckage. Friend of the show, Evan Altman, and Evan wrote today at CubsInsider.com. Go there, read it. Five Yeah, not entirely serious reasons to keep watching Cubs games this season. We were talking about that before the break, Evan. So share with the class some of the reasons, not entirely serious, but serious ones about having a marquee subscription, caring about the Cubs following them. Why? Answer the question, why, Evan?
5: Oh, well, geez. Um, You know, I think it's... uh... Well, I'm actually watching the Bears right now, so I don't even know. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of shifted all the way uh, across to the uh, other sport and another side of town. But um, Super. it's Justin Fields Day. Come on, no. But uh, if we if we do shift <laughs> that, right, the Cubs are going to be on later. Uh, you know, so the Bears won't be playing. But you know, there there is there's it's kind of like watching a train wreck at times, um, which can be entertaining in, in kind of a, a really weird, perverse way.
4: I mean, the show exists, so do, that checks out.
5: Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you, you guys should know. Why, why would anybody listen to Suckage? Well, here we go. Right. Same reason. Um, but but we are going to see, you know, a, as is typically the case, you get some of these young players coming up, there are some guys who are going to get some more time, right? Not not all of these players are going to be left around. Uh, we, we are going to start getting a look, particularly at some of the pitchers. I think that's something to, to keep an eye on. But, you know, part of it, and I, and I know this sounds really odd, uh, because as fans, you know, certainly people want to see a competitive product. But there is something to be said for whether you're watching them on television or whether you can score a cheap ticket late uh, to not really caring as much about the outcome. I mean, it's, it's the Cubs have waved the white flag already. You know they don't really care whether they win or lose these games. And, and in fact, there's probably an active reason for them to want to lose. Uh, but if you can enjoy it without really any attachment to the outcome – Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter if you want to flip over the channel or if you miss an inning here or there. And and at times, I think that does make things maybe not more enjoyable as far as the product, but there's less anxiety and less anger over it uh, for the most part unless you really start thinking about uh, what this team could have been. So, you know, it's, um, it's not as entertaining, but it's not as maddening either, if that makes sense
4: is there anything that that you're looking at it could be player specific or is you know micro or macro as you want that you think actually matters for the rest of the year or or are we just like in in a second michael hoff power era type thing
5: <laughs> God. boy that's, uh, yeah that's that's not a fun thought but no i mean <laughs> there uh, there are there are some things you know outside of so the you know you look at it you say well uh, gosh, the Cubs are only, uh, after that loss, they're only two games out of the number five pick. Uh, you know, they picked 10th right now, so you can kind of look at that, but but no, I, I do think you know there are players like you've got Greg Dykeman who came over uh, in, um, I think he was part of the Andrew Chafin uh, trade, if I, if I recall. Uh, there were so many of them that I'm having trouble kind of placing uh, who came over for whom, but uh, Justin Steele, as part of the starting rotation, we're going to see Keegan Thompson come back up after he gets a little more stretched out, especially if they continue with a six-man rotation and without Jake Arrieta. Uh, so you're going to have some of these younger guys coming up. I think as the rest of the season plays out, we probably see more of these hard-throwing relievers come up, some of the guys who have been at Iowa for a while. And so while it may not matter in the context of of the games themselves or in whatever the Cubs' record ends up being um, – and certainly, hey, they've got, still got a chance for 100 losses, so that's really fun. But um, no, when you're, when you're looking at who's going to be here next year and, and for per- perhaps a few years after that, I-, I think that's what you look to is is what can you glean from those performances, from some of those individual players who should be part of the roster even after it gets turned over again, you know, leading into maybe 2023. So it's not a a whole lot really to base things on, but it does give you at least some semblance of hope for the future.
2: Our guest is Evan Altman. He writes for cubinsider.com. And we're talking about what the hope we're talking about hope, what the Cubs hope is. And Rick had brought up is the, is the biggest reason, the biggest hope Pete Crow Armstrong who came in to buy his deal. So he is, he's rated highly Talk about, explain why Cub fans should be optimistic or not.
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, Crow Armstrong is certainly one where, um, and particularly getting just really that one top prospect, especially a guy who is out for the season and, and played very little, had shoulder surgery. Uh, it was on his non-throwing, uh, he's an outfielder, but his, his non-throwing arm. and uh, but But he fits so if you look at a lot of the deals they made, and particularly, I know fans in Chicago are much more familiar with Nick Madrigal, and uh, you know you talk about a, a heavy contact based hitter without a lot of power. Uh, Crow Armstrong sort of fits that mold similarly, but he's he's also apparently an elite defender in center. Um, you know, we may have a, a hearing that you have an elite defensive center fielder with high contact ability is maybe not something Cubs fans want to hear about after the, the time with Albert Almora and, and how that played out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, but this is a guy who was really highly uh, thought of in that Mets system and, and sort of fits, again, where the Cubs are, are looking to go. Now they're going to have to add some people around that, but she can't go completely off, away from power. But I, I do think he's one of those. And, and, but we're also seeing, you know, you look at a guy like Alexander Canario, who's coming up, who's in South Bend right now and had home runs in four consecutive games. But you know, he fits more of that big strikeout, big power kind of mold. So it, it does look like after several years of talking about how the offense broke and, and kind of having this similar mold from a lot of the players who were uh, big power, big whiff numbers, that it looks like maybe there's a little bit more balance than some of these guys coming up. And so when you look at the top 20, top 30 prospects that the Cubs have in the system now, there's reason to be excited about some of these position players, which had not really been the case other than maybe Brennan Davis and Miguel Amaya over the last few years. So uh, definitely some some good stuff coming up over the next couple of years.
4: Do you think that the overall plan is extremely long-term, like when Theo first got in, or is there going to be now, short-circuiting is the wrong term, but trying to get a few more win-now guys on more than maybe just a one-year deal to try and make this a little more palatable as they as these guys in the system develop a little more.
5: You know, it's it's really going to be, I think this winter, or I w- you would like to think this winter would kind of tell a little bit more, although the expiration of the uh, collective bargaining agreement may throw a monkey wrench in that, you know, depending on, on how long that takes to get resolved, but... You know, we've heard, and, and certainly I think you got to take it with a grain of salt when when Jed Hoyer and, and specifically Tom Ricketts say it's going to be different, it's going to be a, a quicker rebuild, because clearly they want to spin that in a positive light. But when you when you look at, uh, we're already seeing even prior to the trade deadline that you know Wrigley's not getting filled as it normally would be. You know, as the the myth about how it'll sell out no matter what. And, you know, the Cubs own their own television network now, and they really need that because of their ownership of it rather than just having a cable company paying them tens of million dollars a year. You know, they need marquee to succeed and to do well. And in order to do that, fill the ballpark and and have people watching the games, you've got to have either something very, very concrete to look forward to, which is really difficult to do when you're leaning on prospects, or you've got to spend some money and have some free agents in there. So um, I do think we look at a little bit of a lull here. Uh, again, as I mentioned with the CBA, maybe not knowing who and, and how to target those free agents, how much you really want to go after. But if you look at kind of the timelines of these players coming up, and I mentioned Miguel Amaya, Brennan Davis, and you know they may be ready by next year. But if you look at the Cubs really trying to make a run and, and surrounding them with some veterans and some higher-priced players, I think 2023 is probably more realistic uh, as far as the target goes, not to mention the fact that they've got so much money falling off the books with all these contracts after this year. They've got so little committed to next year that they, they have to spend something just to field a team. And uh, But how big that goes, I don't really know. I do think, again, not next year, but the year after, I think we see them maybe target that as as that competitive window opening back up.
2: We're talking with Evan Altman of CubsInsider.com. We're trying to find hope. We're trying to find reason to keep watching. And and I want to ask you one uh, about another player, if I remember right, and at my advanced age, there's no guarantee of that. Alexander Vizcaino, who they got in the Rizzo trade, was was he part of a combined no-hitter they threw in the minors this year? I can't remember what level that is. That It was this week, as a matter of fact. And he's sort of... I guess a wild card in that he could he's a lottery ticket. He could be the best thing, or he could be something a ticket you just tear up on. We lost again. I don't know where then where you come down on him, but assess his assess his game and his possibilities in a in a Cubs uniform.
5: Yeah, I think you know, and and I guess at the risk of kind of saying the same thing as what you could really about just about any prospect, you know, they, they found a few guys in there, but, but if you if you look at where they've trended from a pitching perspective, right, if we if we look at where these guys all kind of came from um, and who they've drafted and who they've tried to acquire, it changed quite a bit. Up until maybe 2017, 2018, they had gone for volume over potential and just said, hey, we're going to get a bunch of guys. They're probably not going to have the highest ceilings but we feel like they'll have pretty low floors, kind of the workhorse type that we think can just matriculate through the system. And, you know, even if they never become aces, we think they'll at least stay healthy and be able to give us innings, which is a really kind of just a boring way to go about it. But it also ended up, they never really developed those guys properly. And and we saw some of them, if you, uh, if you've seen where uh, Tom Hatch and, and even maybe, um, Pierce Johnson is another one, just to, to name a couple, who have gone on to have better success in other organizations because the Cubs really were more regimented. They made a conscious shift to start going for more. of these guys. To say, hey, you know what, we need to get bigger tools. We need to get some guys who throw really hard or who have just phenomenal raw stuff and will hope that they work out because it will be more aggressive with them. And I think that's one of them with a, with a Vizcaino and with some of these other pitchers that they picked up that you're starting to see that. These guys throw hard. They can really go out there and get swinging strikes. Uh, but there's also some injury history in there. There's the potential for them to just blow up, whether it's for that reason or simply because they can't find command. But that is something that we've seen across the organization with, a. a again, I, I keep saying more aggressive, but that's really what It's just the pitching infrastructure is set up rather than trying to take guys and and just guide them through and say, well, we hope you don't get hurt, and you know maybe you'll become a number five starter or a middle reliever. But instead, they're taking guys like, hey, you're throwing 100 miles an hour with this wicked slider. At the very least, if things don't work out, you're going to be a great bullpen arm. And you know, I think uh, I think this guy you know may fit in there, but he could end up being a starter. So uh, a lot of it's just throwing <laughs> throwing stuff up against the wall, hoping something sticks. But it's at least exciting. So you go and watch some of these minor league games you should not leave disappointed. You're going to see something fun from one or two or four of these players just about at every level. So at least it's nice that Marquis is starting to broadcast some of those other uh, games outside of the Cubs. So when you watch those minor league guys, that's where the real hope comes in, and and it's pretty fun.
2: That's where the White Sox created hope. They broadcast a lot of minor league games, so it's a smart move by Marquis. Evan, I want to thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Sorry to take you away from the Bears game, but... Um, now you'll be able to get back to it and use that rewind button while you're on with
5: us. Well, I, I've been watching it the whole time, guys. Don't worry. I'm only half paying attention to you. So I, right. I've really kept it on the Bears Same. the whole time, you know. But, yeah, well, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, you're healthy, you, can, kept you me on guys, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Evan
2: Altman, CubsInsider.com. We, uh, <clears throat> that's Rick Camp over there. You should know him better as one of the co-hosts of the I'm Fat podcast. So our next guest, it is a perfect time to have Rick meet, talk to Ryan Curry, who is the executive chef of the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Yes, a real minor league baseball team. That's where all of this Trash Panda stuff got started for us. And they have two of the most unique dishes you'll hear about. And naturally, one of the things for Trash Pandas At at serving at Trash Panda's game is called the Dumpster Wrap. We'll discuss all that next. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
4: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?